Hey everyone, welcome to the Tapa Ananato podcast. If you love to read books, or if you're an author, then this podcast is for you. I'm award-winning and best-selling author, Tina Hogan Grant. Join me and a new guest author on every show. We'll be sharing writing tips, what inspires us to write our story, and answering questions from our listeners. everyone, Tina Hogan Grant here with my Caponanata that I like to do twice a month on a Monday. I like to invite authors into my home. We talk about books, writing, life as an author, and tonight Ivan Scott is joining me. How are you this evening? Tina, I am great. I am so happy to be here. And, and before we get started talking about me, I would like to extend my congratulations to you. You're up to the eighth book in the Is It the Sabella series? Uh, Dream Big, I think, is the next one. So uh, congratulations. That was great to see. And I'm sure those are fantastic books. Thank you so much. Yeah, the Sabella series actually is finally complete. Great. And it's, it's, it's strange because it kind of feels like, oh, my buddies, my friends, I want, you know. But I'm glad that the series is ended. It is eight books. You are correct. Now I'm starting <laughs> something new. So I'm yeah. excited. But I'm also kind of... Still missing them a little bit. And I like what some of the readers, they say, well, maybe in a couple of years, they'll whisper in your ear with another story. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny well, because I, when we write, oh, I was just going to say, when we finish our, our books, we like, it's like uh, saying goodbye to a friend, our characters. It's tough to say, to say goodbye to them. So It is. It really is. Because they, over the, I think four years I've been writing the Savella series. So I really mm-hmm. felt like they were my friends. And it's like, yeah. no, come back, come back. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Never say never. As you were That's saying. right. But I'm excited to talk to you about your books. But before we get started, we have a few people joining us. So I do want to say hello and acknowledge you wonderful readers that come join us on these chats. And we have, I'll pop them up. We have Virgie. She says hello. Mm-hmm. Hey, Virgie. says hello. Karen. And another Karen says hello from St. Louis. Yeah, we have Lori here. Hey, Lori. Hi, Lori. Janet. We have Barbara. We have Darlene. Hello, ladies. So, Ivan, um, number one, I I booked you about six months ago. So, (laughs) I've been excited to talk to you because right away, the titles of your books, Redhead. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. I knew you'd be calling sooner or later. <laughs> I know, right? So, okay, this is going to be a fun chat. But before we get into your books, just give me a little bit of background to you. Just whatever you want to share with the rest of the world. Sure. Uh, well, the um, most of my book or all of my books have a redheaded heroine. And that comes from my wife, who is also a ginger, who I just adore. And so I take a lot of the stuff that happens with us some of the things that she's been through, some of the adversity that she's gone through in her life and incorporated it into my books. And it's like, you know, they talk about sometimes when you get writer's block or when, you know, writers just can't come up with a story. All I have to do is look on the other side of the bed or the other side of the kitchen. And I'm like, OK, right there. We're going to add that to the to the book. So it's uh, it, it makes it so much easier. And it's funny because uh, this weekend we went to a concert and I just remember she was talking with somebody and I just stood back and just looked at her. And it was just like she was glowing. It was like, you know, the oh, uh, you know, the angels singing and all that. And I was like, wow, how lucky I am. Uh, to be married to her. And also she's such a big influence on the book. So it's just something that that worked out, you know, just perfectly. Um, 
I started writing. Uh, I've been writing all my life, but really got serious about probably about five, six years ago. And with my first book, um, I traditionally tried to publish it and got rejection after rejection after rejection. And thank goodness there was Amazon KDP. There was BarnesandNoble.com and some other outlets to be able to, to self-publish. And so I was able to get the books out and through social media, you know, do some marketing and make some, uh, you know, contacts, do some great networking. And so it's, yeah, I've been really blessed and really fortunate to have these tools uh, to be able to get my books out. And just so, you know, everybody knows, and, you know, if you're a writer as well, um, I think the rejection count is up to 631 over the, the five years that I've been doing this and the four books that I have. So uh, when you have passion for something and you don't want anybody else to tell you what you can and can't do, um, you know, you just go forward. And, and I guess I'm an example of that. And hopefully uh, what we talk about tonight and the examples that I will share will motivate, you know, our, our listeners and our watchers out there that just say, hey, if Scott, Ivan Scott can do it, boom, I can do anything myself. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those things in life. You know, you, do, you, you have a goal and you do it. And so, like I said, I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and then we'll talk about it probably a little bit later too, um, Tina, is um, I have dyslexia. And so uh, that makes writing a little bit harder, but I'll, I'll share kind of the fun experience of how I get my stories done in the kind of roundabout way they go from uh, point A to being published. So I think that'll be something fun that later on in the chat we'll get to. Well, I love the message that you're portraying to writers that want to be published, that never to give up. Persistence pays off. It really, really does. And you look at people like um, um, Harry Potter. Her book is rejected 12, 13 times. What if she has just given up? You know, Absolutely. and, it, and it, you know, it's our passion that drives us. And mm -hmm. if you have that strong passion, it's going to push you. And I did go with a publisher for my debut in 2018. It was horrible. I couldn't stand it because I had no control of my book. Absolutely yeah. no control. And so for me, after that, I decided to self-publish. And mm -hmm. You know, we all choose our route when it comes to publishing. Some people will stick with trying to go through the traditional publishers. Tell them, try that and don't like it. For me, I'll never go back. I love self-publishing. So my hat's off to you for sticking <laughs> with it and pushing through. And you're up to four books, correct? Four books. And I've got one coming out in April that we'll talk about and another one after that in the fall. So, Tina, I tell you, it's like a drug. I just can't, I can't stop. It's like, okay, take a break, go read some other people's books, do something. It's like, well, maybe I can just do one chapter. And then before you know it, I've got, you know, 20 pages written or, you know, a thousand words written or whatever. I'm like, oh my God, I just, I, you know, I'm addicted. I can't, you know. <laughs> it, is, it is a drug. It is totally a drug. I hear you. I have to write every day and I do set myself goals. Uh, yeah. I will count every day. That's how I get my books written. But if I don't write, it's not just that I'm, I'm disappointed that I didn't write is that 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 feeling of needing to write wasn't fulfilled. Mm -hmm. You know, my coffee yeah. in the morning or when I used to smoke my cigarette. So for uh -huh. me, it's just something that I have to do every day. Yes. Fulfill that passion. Let's start with the first book, which what you're gonna have to remind me. I have the titles written down here, but which was the first book? Redhead and a blue convertible. I love these covers. I <laughs> yeah. love these covers. They well, you know, so it's vibrant. thank you. Thank you. Well, it's funny that you say that. And you know what, Tina, if you keep giving compliments like that, I'm just my head's going to be so big. It's going to be like <laughs> off the screen. So the reason why I mentioned that is, is that, um, you know, I'm sure you've run into this as well when you did your self-publishing. Um, you, know, you have to do everything. You have to pay for marketing. You have to pay for the cover art. You have to pay for the format and all that. 
didn't have the budget to do it. It was just too expensive. And so I'm like, you know what? It's like my father used to say, either you find a way or you find an excuse. So it's like, okay, how can I create a cover? I learned Photoshop, which was, which was pretty tough, but um, I stuck with it. And so I thought, okay, go out and research uh, other uh, covers in your genre. So I went to the Barnes and Noble one day, took pictures of various covers that fit the genre that I was working in and kind of took, um, you know, inspiration from those uh, uh, covers and then put my cover together. It was a lot of trial and error and a lot of, you know, okay, delete. Okay, let's try this again. Nope, let's delete that and so on and back and forth, back and forth. Finally, I came up with something that I liked. So, you know, with this cover, um, it's uh, I was able to figure out, okay, I want to put leaves in it because it takes place in October. So I was able to, you know, do leaves. Okay, I want to turn this one. I want to put these here and so on. So it's like after a while, you know, doing Photoshop, it was like, wow, I can do this. And so it gave me a little confidence and a little boost to say, you know what? Yeah, you can create your covers. So, you know, people out there that are self-publishing that, you know, can't afford a graphic artist or want to do it themselves or like you were talking about, want to keep control of your book. No problem at all. Do your Photoshop. You know, you might be able to create something that you think would be better than anybody else could create. So that was the 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 uh, story behind the cover. So basically, I started from scratch, and that's where the cover came from. I'm impressed because I would not even know where to begin when it comes <laughs> to the covers. I do splurge and get someone to do my covers, but the fact that you did the homework, you did the research, they look very professional. Thank and you. I appreciate that. Just perfect. And so I'm sure by the time you got to cover number four, you have this down. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because yeah, I, I did, but there was still, you know, because there's there's a gap in between, like when you write a book and then you get it out and all that, and then you start to write the next book. And then it's like as soon as that's done, okay, I gotta create the cover. Okay, now wait a minute. Now I think I remember I do this and then yeah, so it comes it gets a little easier, but still I have my stumbling blocks. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. We have a few more people joining us. I just want to pop up and again I'm talking to Ivan Scott. I'm sorry, Ivan, where are you? What part of the US are you in? Uh, I'm in Atl in Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. So you what time is it there right now? It is twelve minutes after eight o'clock. So you are three hours ahead of me. Okay. Yes. Um, you got some nice comments on your covers. Let me oh, see. Oh, thank Congrats you. Congrats on your covers. Very impressed. Oh, thank uh, you, Karen. Thank you, Carol. Says, I believe you can create your own cover better than anyone. That is very true because you have the, everything pictured in your mind. You know the colors you want. Mm -hmm. So the, like you said, it's your book. You own it. And throughout the whole process, you get to – to say everything, which is what I like about self-publishing. And what mm -hmm. I didn't like about self-publishing is when I wanted to put a book on sale, they would say, oh, it'll be six to eight weeks. Well, how can I organize a marketing, you know, yeah. session or whatever you want to call it, when you won't even tell me when the book's on sale, when now you just go into Amazon, click on sale, and mm -hmm. the next day it's there. And you're ready you know, to go. Things sure. like that, you know. Yeah. Um, one thing that um, surprised me, which I liked, what's the genres of your book? Uh, they're romantic, uh, con uh, contemporary romance, but kind of bordering on rom-com. There's lots of lots of laughs, stupid, silly puns, uh, silly things that happen as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's um, it's the traditional romance where you have a, a happily ever after. So I don't. I, I guess I'm not you know spoiling too much of it, but uh, you know I, I've uh, come to find out, and luckily I have not stepped on too many tolls. But I but I found out that when you talk about writing a romance book, if it's not a, a HEA happily ever after it's not romance and you better not do that and so i'm right. luckily yeah. i didn't you know so <laughs> i learned that <laughs> lesson true. without having to get my hand slapped 
<laughs> yeah, if, if you call it a romance, it has to be a HEA. That's that's for sure. Oh, yeah. But I love the fact that you are a male writing romance. I just love that. There yeah. is very few, as far as I'm as far as I know. I don't know many romance authors that are male. So yeah, that it's uh, like, that's nice. Yeah, um, it's uh it's one of those, you know, Tina, you probably you know can understand, you know, all of us can understand, you know, in this day and age, you know, where it just seems like one catastrophe after the other in the world or in our country or in our state, you know, whatever. It's nice to be able to dive into a story and, and have some laughs and have a, a nice happily ever after, you know, walk off into the sunset thing. And and I think that, you know, when people talk about, well, that's not real, you know, you, you put that in your book, that's kind of you know, fantasy or whatever. Well, I think that's why people read books and that's why they go to the movies and that's why they like to listen to music because it's an escape from sometimes when you're having troubles you know, with your life. I'm going to jump into this for a while and it's going to take my mind off my troubles. I want a happy yeah. ending. I want the boy and the girl to get together. You yeah, know? If you want to go to Alaska, go find a book take place in Alaska. If you want to go to Italy, and it's like they say, a book will take you to any place you want to go. I just love that that's saying right. because it's so, it's so true. Let's go back to your debut novel, uh, sure. Redhead and... The Corvette, Blue Corvette. This one was published when? This was in 2019. 2019. Mm -hmm. And how long did it take you to write this one? Uh, this one took me about six, seven months to do. Um, but um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't, wasn't too bad. But you know, it's like you were talking about. It's like once you start, like probably with your books as well and with people that write their books, once you get going and it's just like, okay, I'm going to write this. I'm going to write this. Boom. I'm good. Okay. Here's the next thing that happens. Here's the next thing that happens. And it just kind of flowed and it all kind of came together. Um, so that's, that, that was, that was with the first one. It was an eye opening experience similar to creating the cover. It was like, wow, this is the process, but everybody has it, their own process. And you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and we were talking about process, um, and uh, and I forget, I think it was Virgie that might have asked if I'm a planner or a, a panster. Yeah. And for people that don't know, a plotter is somebody that will uh, write everything out that's going to happen in the book, and then they follow it like a roadmap. And so that's how they construct their book. With me, I'm a total panster. I think the dyslexia has something to it. Um, and I, I brought um, an example. So this is... The redhead who loves Hemingway. This is how it all started. So this is how I write. All my stuff is in here. I write it all in longhand. Um, I have to oh, have wow. colored tabs. I have to. <laughs> I have to have you know highlighters and and scratch stuff out and that kind of thing. Um, and then I had to print out like because they in in the Hemingway book they uh, travel around New York City. So I had to print out a map so I could see it. And I, I like put stars by, okay, they're here. You know, number one is the hotel. Number two is this and so on and so on. Um, and then I went on Google maps and I printed off. So I got a visual of this is exactly where they are and this is where they're going. So, wow. my, oh, and then this one is, let's see if what this one is. Um, so this is a more of a detailed city map of you know so i could see exactly where they were going and i think um tina the reason why i have to visualize it is because of this the dyslexia it's like if i can see it then i can write it um so that is a big help with me but i have to write everything in my books uh in my notebooks and then transfer it to the laptop so i tell you it's a the the timing of doing it takes so much longer if i were to like do it straight on the laptop i'd probably have 50 books by now <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that's just I the mean, way that I'm wired. That's the way that I do it, you know? 
Yeah. But whatever works, whatever works for us, that's what we're going to do. But I do like, you remind me of yesterday, because yesterday I'm writing a new book, and you were talking about the time frame and how long it takes you to write the book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask number, number one, the fourth book, did you find it was quicker to write? Even with all the process that you do with the, with the notepad and everything, did you find you were writing a little bit quicker? Yeah, I think it was because the story was a little bit um, um, more ingrained in my in my head. <clears throat> it's like I'll have like going back to the the uh, pastor. I'll have the story in my head, and then it comes from my head, and I just write it out in my notebooks. And the funny thing is, is that sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to go down this avenue. I'm going to go down this road this way. This is where we're going you know what? That's not going to work. Scratch that, scratch that. Let's move them back out. Okay. Let's try this again and so on and so on. And then we go from there. But it did take me a little bit uh, shorter um, as opposed to the first book, because I kind of had an idea. Okay. Sometimes we, we, it's like you're cutting the fat. It's like, you know what? That's nice, but you don't really need that. You can kind of, you know, you don't want the story to bog down. So I think that's uh, that as you write more books um, that becomes a little more clearer to you. And especially with them all being related, the character, the redhead, I'm sure, is easier to write, even though she is your wife, or based on your wife. <laughs> and I found that when I wrote the Sabella series, the one I just finished, by the time I got to book number six, I was able to kick out the next three books and, like, well, not kick them out, but write the first draft under three yeah. months. And yeah. the next come out in six months. Now that that series is over with, I'm starting completely with new characters, new spaces, new areas, and it's taking longer. And I and I was yeah. just saying the other day, because I write down when I started the book, my work count every day. And I was looking back at when I started this book. I'm like, hmm, this is taking a little bit longer. But yesterday I spent the day researching Alaska because part of this mm-hmm. book takes place in Alaska. And I, I've never been to Alaska. I know absolutely nothing about Alaska. And I was doing the same thing as you. And I, you know, I found this town and I found where everything's going to just fall into place. But now I have to research the towns, how these people get there, how long does it take to fly there, which airports do they go to? So uh-huh. I understand the but starting a new book with new characters, my kicking, not kicking, but writing this book is taking a little bit longer. So yeah. but it's okay. Hopefully it'll be worth the wait for my readers. That's all I can Oh, say. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the redhead and the blue Corvette, can you just give us a little background? Um, sure. Sure. So this is the it's redhead and a blue convertible. And um, the premise behind this book and this like we talked about, this kind of came from my my wife. Um, the heroine in this book is Sarah Farnsworth, and she is a heart surgeon in Atlanta. And she loses a patient on the operating table. The patient is just one of those things where there's nothing she could do about it. But she takes it really hard. Well, she calls her mother, who's back in England in uh, in london and her mother is a famous heart surgeon and so she wanted to follow in her footsteps her mother was very domineering and she was very um strict with her uh didn't cut her any slack was just really kind of just just really rotten to her to be honest so she calls her and says you know hey this happened and so her mother you know says you know what this never happened to me and just bashes in her just lays into her really bad and already she's in a fragile uh, space because she lost a patient on the table i mean she's just it's traumatic for her and then her mother uh, kind of uh, adds on to it. And the crushing blow is, is that the, the mother says, you know what? I'm ashamed that you're my daughter. And then leaves the conversation like that. And Sarah is just just devastated. She can't go back to the operating room. She's she's uh, it, it's like um, she's traumatized. 
can't go anywhere near the hospital. So she takes a leave of absence and she, uh, um, uh, the, um, chief of staff at the hospital is a good friend of hers. And so he's like, you know what, I've got a job for you. I've got a friend that needs to, uh, be driven around Atlanta. He's got 24 hours to clear up all of his affairs. And then he has to leave town. Would you, you know, would you drive him around Atlanta? Would you look after him for 24 hours? And so she's like, you know what? I'm, I can't go back to the hospital. I might as well do this. And so the, they get together. And so she takes him around to all the, all the, his favorite places that uh, in Atlanta, his friends, the places that he you know went to for years. So it's kind of like a last tour of the battlefield sort of thing. But we don't know why he has to leave Atlanta, but they spend 24 hours together. So that's the whole premise of the book. And the, and the way that I got that uh, idea, I remember reading a story about an older lady who called a, a taxi cab late at night. So the cab driver came to, to pick her up. Uh, she had her suitcases all packed. And so he thought, well, I'm taking her to the airport. I'm taking her to the bus station. She's going on a trip or whatever. The lady asked him to take her. Uh, I'm sorry. The lady asked the cab driver to take her to all the places that were special to her, where her kids went to school, the church where her and her husband got married, just all these places that are just very sentimental to her. So the cab driver thought, well, this is kind of strange, but you know, I'll just go with it. So at the end of the trip, the lady tells him where to go. And so he takes her and drops her off. It's an assisted living facility. So this is the last time that this lady is going to have the freedom to go and see the things and that were very special to her before her life changes. And so I thought, wouldn't that be a really cool thing? And then it got me to thinking, what would the reader think if I had 24 hours to uh-huh. see and do the things that I wanted to do before basically my freedom was kind of taken away? Where would I go? Who would I see? What would I do? What would that be like? Um, and then the so that's kind of the, the basis behind it. But um, going back to what we were talking about with my wife, my wife is very successful in marketing. Um, she um, uh, has been a VP. She wants to be a CMO. She's, it's like her thing. It's like that's her identity. Well, for the first time in her career, and this was about uh, this is when I started writing the book, uh, she lost her job. She was let go. It was kind of a it wasn't a deal where she did anything wrong, but it was one of those where they brought in new leadership. I want my own people. And she got let go and not, she didn't hit, I mean, she hit rock bottom, not as bad as Sarah, because that was pretty traumatic, but it was that thing, you know, nobody wants me anymore. I'm a terrible marketer. I don't know, you know what I'm doing. I'm dumb. I'm, I can't do anything right. You know, that kind of thing. So um, luckily within about six months, she got another job. Everything was back to normal. Everything was cool. But that was kind of the thing with Sarah is that she hit rock bottom. And so it's like, we kind of lean on the people that are specialists to kind of bring us back from the dead. And then once we get through that adversity, it's like, if that should happen again, it's like, hey, no big deal. Went through it before. I'm going to kick its ass again. You know, that kind of thing. And so that's the idea. And that's kind of the the uh, the premise when you read Redhead in a Blue Convertible. It's kind of like, um, you know, getting that, meeting that somebody special or meeting that friend that kind of gets you through that tough time. But what's funny is, is that the guy that she drives around, she kind of pulls him out of some things, too. And I won't tell you what it is, but she kind of pulls him through some things as well. So it's kind of a cool little little deal but that's the uh that's the first book sounds intriguing i'm intrigued now when you wrote the first book the redhead book did you know that there'll be more to follow or uh yeah yeah like like we talked about it's like when i wrote the first one i'm like okay let me do let me get the next one okay come on let's okay what's the idea behind the second <laughs> one i mean I, kinda, I was like the like a golden retriever with it with the with a human like holding the ball okay come on. Okay. You know, throw it, throw it, you know? So that was kind of like I was, I'm like, okay, what's the next book? Let's, let's get on it right now. And uh, they all can be ready to stand alone. Yes. They, uh-huh. uh, okay. Now the main character is in the same, in, in all the books, correct? 
No, um, it's it's oh. uh, different heroines in each book. Yeah, oh, so it's okay. a, it's a standard. Yeah. Okay, but they're all redheads. That's that's the mm. theme. They're all redheads. Yeah. How does your wife feel about you writing all these books based on necessarily her or her experiences? Well, I can't tell you everything that goes on with us. So, you know, she got it. She's like my clearinghouse. She's like, don't put that in there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm teasing about that. I don't, you know. Uh, but uh, she's, you know, it, it, Tina, it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, she's, it's kind of a romantic thing where, you know, it's like, well, who wouldn't write, who wouldn't want somebody to like, especially your significant other to write about you and your times together and, and the special moments that you share. And I always tell her, it's like, um, you know, one day, you know, if I should go before you go, you'll have these books and it's kind of like, I'm, I'll still be here with you because all the stories are kind of a lot of the stuff that happened to us. And so it's kind of like a, a little bit of a microcosm of what we, um, what we went through uh, together. And, um, and I think, you know, just reading over, you probably read over my bio, I'm a big Hemingway fan. And uh, it's funny because when Hemingway, when I read his, his, his books, his, his uh, stories and all that, I kind of feel like, oh my God, you're writing exactly how I'm feeling right now. You know? And so I, I have that connection. And so I think with my books, with my wife and, and her nickname is red. So that's why, you know, her name is Kim, but I call her red because of her red hair. So, right. um, but I think that, um, you know, this is something that, you know, and knock on wood, if I should, if I should depart the earth, uh, tomorrow, no matter what, nobody can ever take away these books and nobody can ever take away the stories and they'll live forever. And, yeah. um, hopefully the reader will, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of feel the same way. It's like, wow, that's a, that was a cool story. I can identify with that and, and be something special for them forever as well. Just like Hemingway is for me. Right. That's the le legacy you've been leaving behind. And, yeah. uh, that's very true. I mean, my father was an author. He wrote 36 books. Oh, wow. And that's, that's what inspired me. And wow. when I pick up one of his books, he passed away in 2010. But when I pick up one of his books, I feel I, I hear his voice. And yeah. it just brings me closer to him. It makes me feel like he wrote these words and he's talking to me. And it's just such a, a comforting feeling that he left these behind. Yeah, and so I, I totally get what you mean by saying your wife will pick up these books. Hopefully, that won't, you know, soon <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. I think it's really sweet. I think it's really sweet. Can yeah. we see the covers of the other three books and let us know sure. which orders that they were written? absolutely? And we'll go in order here. So the okay. second one is the redhead and the ghost rider. And you want me to give like the quick uh, background yeah, on each book? Yeah, okay, so. The Redhead and the Ghost Rider, the inspiration for this book is I've always been intrigued by people that have extraordinary talent, whether it's a painter or a writer or a dancer, musician, you know, whatever. And then one day they hit the wall and they just totally dismiss all of their talent and they just, yeah, whatever, I'm done, you know, because maybe it's a traumatic uh, you know, episode in their life. Uh, they lose a the loved one, um, you know, just something happens and they're just like, you know what, I'm just not doing it anymore. So that's the idea behind this book. The uh, um, main character is a Pulitzer winning Pulitzer Prize winning author named Jasper George, and he kind of throws away his writing career. He only writes one book. He wins the Pulitzer, but he only writes the one book. He has a traumatic uh, event in his life, and so he just throws it away. And he lives the rest of his life, the rest of his days, or his days, in the bottom of a whiskey bottle. He's just, you know, he's oh, just boy. done with it. So the redhead is Sienna McCaslin, and she runs a or owns and, and operates a bar 
It's a beach bar and it's called Ghost Riders. And the cool thing about the, the beach bar is it's a bookstore in the daytime. And then uh, when the nighttime comes, they change it around and it's a bar. So it's kind of like a book bar where people come and there's a crazy band and they talk about their favorite books and they talk about their favorite authors. And so it's kind of like a literary Studio 54 kind of thing. So that's oh, wow. the that's kind of the hangout where they where they do their thing. So a aspiring author, Piper Marbury, comes to and the 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 fictional place is called Turtle Point. And uh, I based it off of Hilton Head Island in South Carolina because that's where our family vacations every summer. So I had lots of uh, you know how we talked about going to Alaska and all that. Well, I was actually able to go to Hilton Head so I can kind of pick out locations and kind of get the feel for it. So um Piper Marbury comes to Hilton Head. And so she asked Jasper, he's like, hey, I'm an aspiring author. Can you help me with my novel? And he kind of blows her off and, and says, no, I don't do that anymore and all that. So finally, Sienna says, hey, why don't you give her a chance? Why don't you give her a shot? You know, she wants to write this book. So they end up working together. So it was kind of cool because I and Tina, you could probably identify with this and the people that are authors can kind of identify with this. I wrote a lot of the experiences that Piper's going through with rejection and trying to figure out, you know, how do I write this novel? What's the best way to do it? Uh, am I showing and not telling? Am I, you know, uh, am I doing an info dump? You know, those kind of things. So right. it's kind of cool to you know relate those experiences. So we go forward and the book, um, they work on the book. And so they find uh, somebody that's going to read it. So Sienna's like, you know, you're spending a lot of time with um, with Piper and, you know, I and, and Jasper doesn't know this, but Sienna has been in love with him ever since they were in high school. So she's like, you know what? It's never going to happen. He's you know, he's kind of thrown everything away. He doesn't want to be loved. He wants to drink and carouse and do whatever with his friends. So she goes to California. And so she leaves Turtle Point, goes to California. And she's going to open up another uh, book bar similar to Ghost Riders. So the premise is, or not the premise, but the idea is, okay, well, what does Jasper do? Does he go to California to go get her and bring her back? And if he goes to bring her back, is she going to come back? So that's kind of the cliffhanger that we have going here. So, but that's, that's the idea behind Redhead and Ghost Rider, which is kind of like a beach romance. Intriguing. Okay. And this one, the third one, a redhead in Tottenham. Okay. Um, in this book, uh, the uh, the main character is a pro soccer player, and uh, he plays for New York in the uh, uh, Major League Soccer. And the um, tra- the adversity that he has is he has not forgiven himself for giving up the game winning goal uh, for his team a couple of years ago. He still carries that burden, and he's like, you know, until we win a championship, I'm, I'm never going to get that back. Um, you know, I'm sorry I let my teammates down. You know, I just feel awful about it. So one night he's out on the practice field with his best friend. A storm comes and uh, blows stuff around the field. And Mark is taken from earth by an angel up to heaven because apparently he's died. So they go to sort it out. And so the angel's talking with her boss and Mark and uh, the character, uh, Ryan Tarkington is his name. Ryan says, you know what? I don't understand why I'm here. I didn't die. And they're like, well, wait a minute. There was a giant post that came flying through the air. Didn't it hit you? And he's like, No, it didn't. And then the angel was like, well, it looked like it was going to hit you. So I took you out just before. Oh, shoot. So it's like, okay, we got to get you back to Earth. Well, the problem is is that they go to bring him back to Earth. His body's been cremated. (laughs) So so it's like, okay, now what do we do? So um, they're trying to find him a soccer player to put him to to kind of resume his career, kind of put him back on Earth so he can, you know, keep moving forward. 
So they can't find myself to play this suitable. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. But this one takes place partly in England, correct? Yes, it does. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. See, we're getting to that because here's the thing. So they're in heaven. They can't find them a soccer player. The the closest thing they can find is the owner of the Tottenham Hotspur uh, football club in uh, London. Well, Tottenham is a suburb north of London. So right. they they say, okay, um, we don't have a soccer player, but we could put you in this guy's body. He's getting ready to die, uh, so we can put you in his body and at least let you do this temporarily till we can find you a soccer player. So he's like, I don't know, I don't know. Well, while he's deciding, the goalkeeper for the uh, women's Tottenham Hotspur team comes into the office. And the problem that's go- that's going on with, with, with her is the owner, the guy that's getting ready to die, is just a real just jerk. You know, he just he's in it for himself. He doesn't care about the women's team. He wants to close out the women's team, sell everything off and kind of pocket the money. So what happens is that Ryan sees this and he's like, gosh, I wish somebody would help that girl. And the angel that escorts him down is like, well. You can help her, you know, because this guy's getting ready to die. You can be Chadwick Sutton. That's the that's the owner, the name of the owner. And he's like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be a I don't want to be an owner of a soccer team. I want to play soccer. Can we do this temporarily? So they're like, okay, we'll do it temporarily. And he's like, fine, we'll do it temporarily. I'll help this girl, and then you find me a soccer player, and then I'm going to leave and I'm going to go play soccer. So it turns out he ends up helping her, and it's it's cool because it's a it's an enemies to lovers kind of thing because everybody loathes Chadwick Sutton, the, the original owner. So then Ryan comes in and takes over the body. He's like, God, why does everybody hate me? And it's like, well, they don't hate you. They hate Chadwick Sutton. So he like totally turns everything around. He becomes the nice guy. He, you know, totally just changes the the culture. So the soccer player, she's from Scotland. Her name is Samantha Densmore. They end up falling in love. So he's like, okay, you know what? I think I can do this. If I want to, if I'm going to be with Samantha, I can do that. I can be the owner. I don't, I'll throw my career away. That's how in love he is with this girl. So he finally makes the, you know, the proclamation. Okay, I'm going to do this. Okay, Ryan, we found you another body. You can't be Chadwick Sutton anymore. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, what? why? Wait a minute. What are you doing to me? You've already screwed up my career. Now that I've got the second career, you're going to take me out again. And it's like, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. So he ends up leaving. Uh, he's not Chadwick Sutton anymore. So he's kind of in a weird, uh, hyper, not hyperspace, but kind of in a weird place. So it's like, okay, how are we going to get Samantha and Ryan back together again? So you're going to have to read to see uh, if they, very, if they get Very together. intriguing. And yeah. it also sounds like you write some comedy in the romances too. Yes. Oh, there's got. Oh, Tina, you got to have comedy. You got to have some laughs. You got to have something to get y'all chuckled. You know. <laughs> I want to. I want to ask real quick with the Tottenham one, especially because it takes part in England. Did you ha- did you use English slang in the book? I did use English slang, and it's tough, Tina. I wish I would have known that uh, uh, you were from England because I would have contacted you and said, Tina, what do you think about this word? Because um, I, I got a, I had a uh, review from a. Um, uh, independent publishing company in uh, London, and they're great. Uh-huh. It's uh, uh, Ella and Alex uh, with Not for Vanity Publishing, and they did a review. They put me on the website, and they're great. We, I, they, I, I love them. They love me. It's all that. But in the review, they said, you know, some of the slang was okay, some of it was a little out of place, and I was like, oh no, I screwed it up. So, <laughs> but, but just my my the, my heart was in it. You know, my best interest. I tried to get the slang right. So you know, but yeah, there was slang in it. I was just curious I was, because I still use some English slang. I've been here 30 plus years, but there's still certain words I can't get rid of them. Like my yeah. favorite saying is I'm bloody knackered, which means I'm tired. 
Yeah. But I say it all the time. I'm bloody knackered. Yeah. Oh, God, I love the way you say that. It's funny you mentioned that because in the um, redhead in a blue convertible, Sarah's from London. And so I used some slang in there and I used uh, uh, knock. Is it knockered? Knackered. I used knackered in there. And the other one that I used is she says she she talks to the um, uh, Billy Caldwell is the is the gentleman that she is driving around town. She says to Billy, oh, I am knackered. I am off to Bedfordshire. And he's like, Bedfordshire, you're going to leave? And she's like, no, 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 no. Bedfordshire means I'm going to bed. I'm tired. So is that, was I on point with that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had a heck of a time when I first came to this country. I mean, things that I, I mean, like I, if I asked for chips over here, I'll get a bag of potato chips. Bag of potato chips. Chips in England are French fries. Yeah. Just little things. But I could talk for hours about that, but we're going to move along. I know you have one more book to talk about, but before we get to that, Yes. You are going to do a live read. I so will do a live read. I'm yes. Let you do the live read and tell us a little bit about the book because I believe it's the, la- the latest one. And then sure. I want to switch over and answer some of these questions. I see a lot of questions popping up. And I want wow. to make those questions too. So, Ivan, I'm going to hand it to you. You can tell us a little bit about the next book and do the live read afterwards. How's that sound? Okay. Sounds good. Yes. Okay. Um, and so- let's see the book too. I'm sorry. And let's I'm sorry. See that book too. We'll see the book. Here we go. <laughs> and what's cool is, okay, so it's the redhead who loves Hemingway. And so I took my two passions, my wife, my redhead, red and Hemingway. And I'm like, why don't I put these two things together in a book? You know, it's like the two things that you love. And so maybe why that's probably why this book didn't take as long as, to write as the other ones, because it was to me, it was easy because it was things that I was interested in love. Um, the one thing that I wanted to um, point out, we talked about the book covers. Let me see. I'll move up here on the book cover. So when Red and I went to New York, not last December, but the December before last, I guess, December of 2022, um, we went to it, um, uh, the New York Public Library, and then we went to the Scribner's Building. The Scribner's Building is where Hemingway and Fitzgerald worked on their manuscripts with uh, Max Perkins, uh, was the famous editor. Yeah. So right now, I think it's a it's um, like a women's clothing uh, store, but you still see the framework. Some of it from the old pictures is still kind of the same. But I took this picture um, from across the street and then I took it into Photoshop. And so this is so this picture was my picture. And then I just kind of, you know, put the stuff on it and then added the redhead. That So, yeah. So I was really fortunate to be able to, to get a picture that that worked. Um, but um, real quick, if you guys ever, if if you guys like you know movies about literary that kind of thing, check out the movie Genius with Colin Firth and Jude Law. Uh, Laura Linney's in it and Nicole Kidman, and it is about Max Perkins, the famous editor, and his workings with Thomas Wolfe. But also there's a Fitz, there's Fitzgerald is in it and Hemingway's in it. And so if you like those old kind of writers and all that, it's a really cool story. And, and who doesn't love? Um, uh, Colin Firth. I mean, he's one of my favorite actors, right. and he plays Max Perkins. And so, yeah. But that's but this is the yes. And in the movie, they show this building, and I'm sure they did, you know, AI and all that. But this is the building that they showed. So, but uh, yeah. So it's kind of special when I saw it that it was like, wow, Hemingway and Fitzgerald. Wow, they, they they were like right there, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, the premise behind the redhead who loves Hemingway, which this book is more of a rom com. Uh, than the other ones are. Um, this is more of a traditional rom-com. Um, the premise behind this one is you have a college professor, uh, George Callahan, 
uh, from East Tennessee State University. So he's from Tennessee. So he is a big Hemingway fan. And the he- and the fictional Hemingway Historical Society has loaned him uh, a very rare and very the, the very first copy of The Sun Also Rises for an exhibit that they're doing. So once the exhibit's over, he has to take it back to New York. So he brings it back to New York. And in the process of getting it back to New York, he runs into the redhead, Darcy Davenport who is just the sweetest girl in the world. But the the thing with Darcy is, is that she's very free spirited. Um, she's always getting into trouble, but always figures out a way out of it. But she's always like, you know, Oh, I've been in tougher spots than this. You know, don't worry about it. We'll get through, you know, that kind of thing. So she's always getting George. They, they meet uh, in the Scribner's building. She's always getting George into these death defying situations. They have to jump off a ledge. They have to run from the mafia. They go, they, um, they, have, uh, she dresses them up in a drag bar to get away from the bad guys that are chasing them. So it's just one adventure after the other. And in all the time, the book gets lost. Darcy loses the book by mistake. And so the the whole weekend, they're try, they're running around New York trying to find the book. And they have to find it by Sunday night because that's when the big party is. And that's when they expect the, the Hemingway Historical Society expects the book back. So they have to oh, wow. find it by Sunday night. So it's one thing after the other. Okay, where's the book? They're always a step behind and all that. Um, so it's their adventures. Um, and my uh, Red is a big Ed Sheeran fan. So there's a part in the book where um, through shenanigans of, you know, whatever, you'll have to read it to find out. But uh, Ed Sheeran does a song for them and they dance together to it. So it's kind of a cool little, you know, thing. And of That's course, Red's true. like, oh. You know, that uh, that would never happen. It's like, that's why it's a book, because you want it's a fantasy so you can imagine it happening, you know, that that sort of thing. So um, but I'm not going not gonna to tell you what happens, but um, uh, if they find the book or not, because, you know, maybe finding no, the book is not the most important thing. Maybe them getting together is. But the other thing you got to think of is if they don't find the book, George is going to get fired from his job. Uh, the Hemingway Historical Society is not going to be very happy. There might be some legal ramifications. And so it's one of those where, okay, it's Darcy's fault that the book was lost and all this heat is going to come down on George. So is he going to forgive her? Is he going to say, you know what, this isn't going to work between us? Or is he going to say, you know what, I'm so in love with you. Fine. I don't care if I've lost the book, but you'll have to read the book to find out. Read the book to find out. I'm intrigued again. They all sound really, really good. Um, But I'm going to hand it over to you now for the live read. We are all anxiously waiting to hear a little bit from you both. Okay, so... (laughs) This is from uh, Redhead, the Redhead Who Loves Hemingway. And uh, just to um, uh, give you the context of it, um, the, uh, ah, shoot. Well, I'm just going to read it. I, you know, I might give away parts of the plot that I just said. Okay, you got to read the book to find out. But uh, Darcy um, has walked away. She's like, you know what? I've caused George so much trouble. I just need to leave him alone. And so they get separated and she walks away from the um, Scribner's building where they're having the big party. So this is the Sunday night. Okay. Darcy spent the night walking around the streets of New York. She had no idea where she was going, either on her walk or in her life. When the sun rose between the buildings, it illuminated the place she retreated to in times of trouble. A slice of golden light warmed the morning chill as it splashed on the steps of the New York Public Library. Darcy walked to the base of the stairs and looked at the lions. Her words came out in small puffs of white steam. I'm back, and you won't believe this, but I need your help, she said to them. After a few seconds, she looked down, shook her head, and said, 
Funny how much I've said that over the years. Real quick, the other thing, Darcy, she can't keep a job because she keeps getting fired because of she caused explosions. She caused a fire. I mean, nothing. It was just accidents, but she's just kind of accident prone. So that's why she says, so funny that I've said that over the years because she can't seem to keep a job. After taking a seat on the stairs, feeling the chilly morning cement through her jeans, she leaned forward and watched the people walk by. Since it was Monday morning, she figured those people were on their way to work. One of these days, I'll join them. Well, if I'm ever, uh, well, if I am, if I ever figure out a way to keep a job, she shook her head, leaned forward, and placed her forehead on her knees. Through the sounds of buses, drivers honking their horns, and people discussing the Giants' victory the night before, she heard a voice. Compy turned his head and grinned and pointed, and there, ahead, all he could see, as wide as all the world, great, high, and unbelievably wide in the sun, was the square top of Kilimanjaro. And then he knew that was where he was going. When, when George and Darcy first meet, she recites that line in the bookstore. He doesn't see her, but he hears it. And then that's what causes him to come find her. So that, that um, uh, it was from uh, Hemingway's book, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. And so that's the thing that brings him together. That's why I put that in there. So just give you a little context. Darcy's head snapped up. George looked at her face. Her red eyelids surrounded tired, hazel eyes. With no makeup, the only color looking back at him was the tan freckles he loved seeing in her chilled pink cheeks. When she saw the face where the voice came from, she allowed herself a smile. George, she said, her voice soft. Who's George, he asked. Well, since the weekend's over, I thought it was time to get back to the real world. George smiled and shook his head. Bucky is fine with me. In the, in the story, from the very first day they meet, she never calls him George. She says, Bucky's much cuter, and, and it suits you better. You're a Bucky. You're not a George. So that's why when he says, well, why, who's George? Because she's okay. called him Bucky. So that's kind of their thing together. Um, Bucky is fine with me. Her face glowed. Um, it is? After George nodded, she asked, what are you doing here? Would you believe I got lost on my way out of town? But how? You won the grant. I saw you and Van Brocklin shaking hands. How could you lose? You know me. If you aren't around, how, uh, how am I going to know where to go? Bertha is his domineering ex-girlfriend. And, of course, they broke up the night before, but that's who Bertha is. So you have Bertha now. I saw you two holding hands and kissing. She looked away, then stood. Look, I'm sorry about what I did. You have everything you've ever wanted now. You don't need me. Darcy, I've lived a whole life in one weekend. All because of you. You know what I like the most? Tell me it was jumping out of the MetLife building. They have running from the bad guys and they have to jump out of a ledge out of the MetLife building. It, it, that part, I put them on a, on a lower floor because there's only so far you can go with fantasy. So don't think that they jumped off the top and survived. But okay. they had to jump out of the building to get away from the bad guys. George grinned. <laughs> that was in the top five. When a laugh slipped between Darcy's lips, George told her, Knowing you, knowing you would be there for me no matter what, uh, knowing you would be there for me no matter if I won the grant or not. Darcy looked around the steps, then her eyes found his. It is? George smiled. Well, I'm glad you think so. She paused and asked, um, was Bertha mad about me being at the hotel? Well, now that you mentioned it, yes, she was. And she still kissed you? About that, let me explain. You don't need to explain. It's okay. I know you love her and I'm nothing but a troublemaker. But it's like I always say, I was left 
Once again, George pressed his finger on Darcy's lips. I know you were left unsupervised. That was her, her catchphrase. It was like when she would explain why she lost a job or why the building caught on fire or whatever. She's like, it wasn't my fault. I was unsupervised. So that was kind of her their little tagline. Uh, with his finger still on her lips, she mumbled, ah, blah, 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 then nodded. Shut the hell up. <laughs> then he smiled and removed his finger. Darcy, you saw Bertha kissing me, but you didn't see me pushing her away. Her face twisted into a state of wonder. You did? Why? Because I didn't want to kiss her. You didn't? No, I didn't. I wanted to kiss you. Oh. <laughs> Darcy's face of wonder turned into elation. You did? George nodded. She paused as her eyebrows dropped close to his eye, close to her eyes. Wait, you didn't want to kiss her? And why aren't you, aren't you at the airport now? George smiled. Well, it's a funny story. I lost both things I thought I wanted. What does this mean? Well, George began, it was a heck of a weekend. Sunday night, Bertha turned me down. Then this morning, I turned Van Brocklin down. And the, the explanation for that, uh, Howard Van Brocklin is the president of the His Hemingway Historical Society. So he, the Van Brocklin decided to give George a grant so he could continue his Hemingway research. George turned him down. He also uh, broke up with Bertha. So basically the two things he thought he wanted in his life, he was like, no. Oh. Um, so uh, from wonder to elation, back to wonder, Darcy's face changed expression once again. Bertha turned you down and you turned down the grant. Bucky, how could you? It's what you've always wanted. Yeah, I suppose. But this weekend I found out there are more important things in the world. I found out for the first time in my life, I don't need an awful girlfriend or some silly grant. You don't? Darcy asked, her eyebrows high on her forehead. George shook his head. No, I don't. I got as far as getting on the plane, then something made me realize I was making a mistake. Before they closed the door, I ramped the aisle and got off. He paused and reached for her hand. When she grasped it, he said, I had to find you. You came here for me? Darcy asked with sparkling eyes. But how'd you know I'd be here? Because I remember every detail about you. The sparker, spark, uh, the sparkle triggered a full blush in her already frosty cheeks as she looked away, then down the sidewalk. She shook her head and couldn't look up at George. He watched her for a few seconds, then quipped, Wow, this time I don't need Ed Sheeran to leave you speechless. I'd say I'm making progress. Darcy giggled, then asked, But what about the grant? I don't want it. On the way over here, I called Van Brocklin to tell him I'm turning him down. Jar Darcy shook her head. You didn't. Yeah, I did. I did it because there were more important things I had to do. Darcy asked, like what? I had to tell you I had to tell you you were right, right about everything. What was I right about? You told me at the end of this weekend I'd fall in love with you. Well, Darcy's cheeks now flushed, warm with crimson. She tucked a strand of cinnamon hair behind her ear and adjusted her ball cap. I'm sorry you have to see me like this. I look a mess. Well, George told her, it's like her old friend once told us, you look perfect. And that's Ed Sheeran's song, You Look Perfect Tonight. A smile leaped into Darcy's face at the same time she leaped into George's arms. They spun around the steps of the library, much to the smiles and polite applause of the morning pedestrians watching their, morning, watching their uh, moment play out. They continued holding each other, relevant uh, in the fact, or let's see, 
I always mispronounce this word, uh, reveling in the fact that they found each other. Uh, that's why I'm a writer and not a speaker. <laughs> Darcy leaned back and asked, so what was that thing you said about wanting to kiss me? Before George answered, Darcy's nervous habit of going off in different directions returned. Because I've seen a lot of rom-coms, and usually at the end of the movie, they kiss, and that's kind of cheesy, but if you... George brought her to him and pressed his lips to hers. The applause increased, as well as a collective awe from the crowd. After the kiss ended, he let her go. When she stumbled, George reached out and steadied her with his hands. Wow, our first official kiss. That was kind of cool, she replied as she wobbled. It was worth the wait, George told her, holding her upright. Come on, he said, grasping her hand. Let's go get some breakfast. George turned and led her to the uh, bottom of the stairs. When they got to the sidewalk, Darcy looked up and her face glowed. Sergeant Wayne, you are a piece of work. You know that? How did you know we'd be here? Sergeant Wayne saluted and told her, Ma'am, Professor Callahan called me from the airport and had me pick him up. He had a feeling you'd be here. She looked at George. You know me too well. So real quick, Sergeant Wayne is Darcy's friend, and he's responsible for getting them around the city in this Humvee. And Sergeant Wayne is kind of a, um, uh, he's a Vietnam vet. And so he kind of, he's very, uh, uh, just a big teddy bear, but very, uh, you know, he has flashbacks and he's always, you know, we're going to do it for the core and, and uh, you know, uh, let's go to Saigon, you know, that kind of thing. So you're going to love Sergeant Wayne when you read him. So, but that was the, that was the reading from the book. And so they walk off together and they have breakfast. There's a little more to the story. So that's not the oh, ending yeah, of sure it. There's a little more to it. So there you well, go. I really enjoyed that. That, that was, I got to ask, there was a kiss in your library. Is this a clean romance or is there some steam? Uh, I I hate to disappoint you guys, but it's very clean and very sweet romance. So there's no. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I like that. I'm just yeah. scrolling because I saw a lot of questions that yeah. I do want to pop up with the bit of time that we have left. And you, I'm, I think I'm going to answer this, but I'm going to pop them up. One, uh, Karen's asking, are your books standalones? Real, real quick, Tina, if you want to go over nine o'clock, I've got all the time in the world for you and, and all the the the, the <laughs> people on the podcast tonight. So I'd be more than happy to stay past nine o'clock. So if we want to answer all the questions, I'd be oh, more than happy to do that. This is fun. I, can, I, can, I can see that already. But okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, hey, Karen. Um, yeah. Okay, Karen. Um, book standalone. Um, the books are standalone, so the, it's different stories. Uh, the only uh, uh, continuous thing is the redhead is the heroine. Uh, so, in the like, for instance, in the Hemingway book, Darcy is between jobs. Tottenham. There's a female soccer player. Uh, there's a bar owner and Ghost Riders and a heart surgeon in the um, uh, uh, blue convertible book. So, yep. So you can read, if you wanted to read the second book first, you could, you don't have to worry about any uh, ser- uh, series or sequences or anything like that. You can read them in any order. I like that. Yeah. And then Renee is asking, do, do you write full time or do you have another job? Yeah, uh, I do have another job. I uh, wish I could write full time, but I uh, just can't yet. So, but I do have another job, a full time job. I do video production and photography uh, at Georgia Tech. So I'm able to work with students and uh, which keeps me young and, uh, you know, being on college campus, it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, I feel like I'm 18 again, which is kind of a cool thing, but, uh, to kind of expound on your question a little bit, um, you know, sometimes you, you really have to make time to write. 
uh, when I was writing the first book, I would have to get up sometimes at 4.30 in the morning. And this is when our kids were a little bit younger uh, because that was really the only time I had to write before I had to you know, help them uh, you know, get up, get dressed, get them to school and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I wish I could do it full time. But with a job, sometimes you have to get really creative with, uh, uh, with when you write. But, uh, Tina, you could probably attest this. It is a labor of love. And so getting up at 4.30 in the morning, yeah, I don't like to get up early. But if it's something that you that you love to do and you're passionate about, um, yeah, it's it's not so hard. It's not. And do you discipline yourself to write? Do you have a work count that you want to achieve every day? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny about that. I respect people that do that. I like the panners and plotsters. Uh, I'm trying again, plotters and pansters. There we go. Uh, I respect uh, plotters uh, because I wish I could be that structured and I wish that I could, you know, sometimes I could do that. So I have nothing against them. It's just, I go a different way with a word count. Um, I usually don't. It's like, if I have the idea in my head, I'll write it out. Or if I'm somewhere, I'll jot it down in a little notebook and then transfer it to my big notebook. And then maybe um, add a little bit more to that. And a tip that I learned and, and uh, from um, Hemingway, uh, he wrote a book on writing Hemingway's book on writing. He uh, said, and it really didn't make sense to me until I started writing, but he said, when you're writing and it's going really good, what you should do is you should stop before um, you get to the end. So it's like, okay, I'm going to stop because I know I've got this much more to go and I'm going to pick it up the next morning because then you pick it up the next morning, you're already in a groove so you don't have to start cold. So if you know where you're going to go with the story, go as far as you can, leave a little bit uh, extra. Next morning, come back, start with where you left off. And then that way you're coming into the next day in your writing uh, a little bit warmer and not cold. Because sometimes when you start cold, it's like, man, I can't do anything. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing. So and I try to incorporate that. as well. And then the other thing I get asked a lot, um, do your characters talk to you? Oh, gosh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There, There are times when I'll write just the pages and pages of just crap just awful stuff and in my head i'm thinking you know sienna's sitting there thinking ivan what the hell are you doing you know you got us in here and we're sitting here waiting for something good to happen and you're writing just drivel you know what are are you doing so i kind of you know it kind of motivates me and i think tina you probably uh, have done this before but i i talk to my characters and i think of them as real people and for me, and I don't know about other writers, but for me, it's like if they're real people, they come alive on the page uh, or, or in the laptop when I transfer it. And they come alive in the book. Uh, when I see them and I know their, their characteristics, I know like Sienna loves bourbon. I know the way that uh, uh, Samantha you know, smelled after a game you know, with all the sweat and the dirt and all that. And so they became real to me. And so I think that's a big help in making them real for the reader. So, yes, they talk exactly. to me. I think about exactly. them. I talk to them, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And I, I tell myself, if they seem real to me, then I'm confident that they're going to seem real to the readers. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. And and the thing with writing a series is you just really get to know these people. By the end of yeah. eight books, it's like, okay, they must live next door because I really know these people. <laughs> you know? <Yep>. Totally <laughs> I agree. Regarding characters, it was, it was early on in our chat, but I'm going to pop it up. But Gail was asking, what character do you relate to the most? Wow. Gail, great question. Um, you know, what's funny. Uh, hmm. I, I think when we write, we have a connection to the characters. So we relate to them because a lot of what, uh, what we're made up of goes into those characters. But I think um, with 
for me, if I had to choose one, it would be Darcy Davenport, even though I don't have red hair. But Darcy is the kind of girl that is just is always glass half full. Um, she's kind of stumbled through life. She's not really sure, you know, she doesn't have a direction. She doesn't, you know, kind of, she's very good hearted, well-mannered, well-intended, uh, but just doesn't find that success. Doesn't, you know, and then finally she meets George and everything turns out all right. And I identified with that so much. I remember, um, this kind of a personal story, uh, but I remember, um, when I was in my thirties, uh, my father was in an accident and he was getting ready to have surgery and it didn't really look good for him. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And I remember I came to his hospital room. Uh, I was living in Atlanta. This was in up in Tennessee where my parents lived. And I came to his hospital room the day before the surgery because I was getting ready to go back to Atlanta. And I said, uh, I held his hand and just kind of looked at him and I said, dad, you know, um, uh, if you promise to come out of this surgery, um, I promise I'll grow up and start being the man that you, you know, would would be proud of. Uh-huh. And um, I remember he um, uh, he got tears in his eyes and he nodded and all that. And and my father was proud of me. It wasn't it wasn't like Sarah and her mother. It wasn't anything like that. But I always felt that I fell short. You know, my brothers were always the ones that were the success, and my sisters were always the success. And I was just kind of I was the youngest. I was kind of you know, floundering and, you know, always had well intentions, but just didn't know, you know, the direction. So I remember I said that to him. And, um, unfortunately that was the last conversation my father and I had. And, oh, um, you know, he, yeah, he, uh, he passed away. Um, but, um, so I think I took a lot of, of those times, you know, not, you know, the disappointments and the times when I was like, wow, my father really, you know, he probably, you know, is, is uh, not upset with it, but disappointing me, that kind of thing. And so I kind of took some of those experiences and put them into Darcy's character. And so Darcy, I think I, if I had to choose one um, that I would be closest to, it would probably be her. So, wow. Yeah. I'm sorry about your father. Oh, that it's oh Tina, I appreciate that. Yeah, he he passed away in in '96, so it's it's been a while. But uh, it's funny the uh, the week of his death, I always know when it is because it's like wow, why do I feel sad? Why do I feel, you know, it's like, well, this is the week where, you, you know, your father died. So I still, even though it was, well, let's see, so four and 20, so it was 28 years ago, but still I, you know, I feel that, that, that deep inside. And I think about those times, uh, you know, but just for the day, you know, that sort of thing. But, right, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. I'm going to take one more question from Renee. We're going to have to wrap it up here soon. Um, Renee says, other than work and writing, what do you enjoy doing as far as recreational? Wow, great question. Thank you, Renee. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it, it's funny because I think, and Tina, you you probably have hit this as well. When you write uh, and when you do, you know, books, especially several books, you know, you're doing a series. Uh, it's very time consuming, and it and it and consumes you in another way too, where it's like you could be going to the grocery store and you'll be kind of on autopilot when you're driving, and it's like in your head you're thinking, okay. I got to figure out, I've got a plot hole here, you know, and and I got to figure this out. And so it's like, sometimes you got to shut your brain off and say, okay, what can I do? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a big sports fan. So um, I grew up in in Knoxville. So I followed the the Tennessee, the Vols. Uh, I'm a a Detroit Lions fan. So of course, many heartbreaks there. So there's no happily ever afters, you know, with following the Lions. So, but uh, sports is a big thing for me. Another thing that I like to do and it's interesting because, you know, I tell stories with, you know, with words and paper and that kind of thing in books. Um, I like to make videos of um, and tell stories through videos as well. So it's kind of a different medium, but I oh, still get fun. that that same 
that that fulfillment and that enrichment to where it's like, wow, I just told a story and I used music and I used an interview and I used sound and I used pick, uh, you know, video and uh, was able to create a story. And back again, when we talked about these stories live forever. So um, I think, um, you know, doing video production is a big is a is a big thing for me. Um, I'm a big dog person. We have a dog. Her name is Beasley. So um, I get to play with her a lot. And it's, you know, it's kind of cool. Uh, she's a rat terrier. She's a rescue. We rescued her from the animal shelter. So she's a, yeah, she's a sweet girl. So oh, yeah, and actually, I have pictures of it on my uh, 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 all my social media pages. So yeah, you can check her out. So. I will. I have a Jack Russell terrier. The, the oh awesome yeah, that's a good one. They're awesome dogs. She's slowing down a little bit, but well, actually a lot. But they're, they're great dogs. I see one more question I want to put up here. Uh, Tammy's asking, do you have a favorite place to be when you write? Yeah. Tammy, thank you for the question. Um, you know, what's it's interesting about that is I, um, I don't know if I have a favorite place to write. Now, as you can see, yeah, we're in what's called the Hemingway room. This, this is my, my man cave slash writing room. And gosh, I wish Hemingway would come and like help me get, help me be a better writer. So I, you know, I named the room after him. Maybe his ghost will come and say, okay, thank you. You know, it's like Hemingway, help me with this. I'm struggling, you know, that sort of thing. So maybe one day the, the quality of my writing will improve. But I like to write in here. I mean, as you can see, I mean, you can't see like a foreword. But uh, in this room, all these bookshelves are all the way around the the writing room. So I, I look up oh, sometimes. Right. And I'm like, "Wow, you know that person wrote that book, and that person wrote that book." Okay, that, no sweat. You need to get down. You need to start working on your book. So I get a lot of inspiration, um, and I've got some frame pictures of uh, Hemingway, like you know, at his typewriter, and those kind of things. And so that's uh, it's kind of like a yeah, you know, like I said, it's the Hemingway room, so it's a it's kind right. of a cool place to write. Um, what I found what's interesting is um, sometimes what I'll do if I'm in the waiting room at my doctor or if I'm getting my car serviced, it's like I'll pull out the notebooks or whatever, and I could just fly through it, you know. And, I, and so those are it's weird, but um, finding little places like that that I didn't really think, boom, I can do it there. The other thing, and I don't know, hopefully you guys will think this is funny, but I have. The, as far as like ideas and when I'm thinking about my stories, if something doesn't work, work out right, I get the best ideas in the shower. Don't ask me why, but okay. I get in the shower and the, <laughs> it just, it just flow. it's like the water coming out of the, the, and how the do you write down those ideas in the shower? I'm glad you asked because here's the thing. <laughs> I lost so many ideas in the shower because by the time I got out of the shower, got dried off. I'm like, okay, now wait a minute. You were now who was doing this? Whatever. <laughs> I found on Amazon, they sell waterproof writing pads. So it's a little writing it's pad. It's about this big. Yes. And, you, and, you, and it's got little suction cups on the back of it. You stick it on the wall and you ha- and there's two little waterproof pencils and the paper's waterproof. And so I'm like, oh, okay, boom. Do, 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 do. Yeah. So there you go. So they sell them on Amazon. So if anybody ever needs, anybody gets the ideas in the shower, like I did, so silly, but and it they do away. sell waterproof pads. Yeah. It doesn't wash away in the shower. Oh, it, no, it, no, it doesn't. It's cool. It's the, the, the pads are waterproof. So boom. Yeah. Okay. So you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Well, Ivan, I'm going to wrap this up. This has been a thrill, but what I want to oh. do for a couple of things is number one, you're doing a, give- a giveaway, so I, yes. I appreciate that. If you want to tell our readers what it is you're giving away. Okay. Uh, I am going to give away the latest release, 
the redhead who loves Hemingway. So you can read more about Darcy and George and if they get together at the end. So uh, that will be the giveaway and I would be happy to autograph it. Um, it, it. Here's the thing. I'd be happy to send you an ebook or a paperback. Now, if it's a paperback, then I can autograph it and send it to you. But if you like the ebook better, no problem. Uh, it'll get to you quicker anyway, because I can just do it on Amazon. But just let me know that your preference and I will get a book out to you. So. Perfect. And you've asked me to choose a winner for you, which I would gladly do. And sure. I will do it after the chat and I will tag you in the group after I picked a winner. And then I will ask the reader to just reach out to you and you guys can connect with the details. That sound good? Absolutely. And I look forward to, uh, yeah, to whoever the lucky winner is. Let me just say real quick, I know we have to wrap it up, but let me just say, and I, and I wish I could, like I'm seeing Karen and I see Diana and Tammy and Dana and Virgie and, uh, and Laura and all that. I wish I could answer every one of your questions individually. And I am so sorry that we didn't get a chance to, to do that. But just to let you know, I am so appreciative that you guys spent your time with Tina and I tonight. Thank you so much. I look forward to spending this time again uh, when the next book comes out, because you guys oh, are great. Without, definitely. With, well, I was, was going to suggest to you after the live chat, because I know there's a lot of questions we didn't get to, but if you uh -huh. go to my author page and in the group, you can go in there and just and type your answer oh, to those questions. Hey. Just scroll through the comments because the feed does get separated after the live has stopped, but you will see all the comments, all the questions, on my author page feed and also in my group and feel free to go in there. The readers will probably love it. it might take you a while, but yeah, you can go in that'll be fun. Answer the questions. And um, they can the also, thing, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, they can also reach me on all of my social media pages is author Ivan Scott, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, or X as they call it. Um, uh, let's see, let's see, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm on Pinterest. Oh, real quick, Tina, on Pinterest, what the reader can do, I've got each of my books uh, on, on my Pinterest page. They can click on it and they can see exactly who I saw as the characters and the settings. And so I have it all left up. This is this oh, character. Cool. This is the, the, the uh, inspiration behind this character. So Pinterest yes. is, is another page. On my YouTube page, I have a soundtrack for each of my uh, books. So it's like kind of like a movie soundtrack. So if there's a uh, inspiration behind a song or if there's a song mentioned in the book, it's in the soundtrack. So in the YouTube page, you can see exactly what the musical soundtrack is. So please feel free to reach out to, on social media because that's a great way to interact. Oh, yeah, it really is. I love social media. And if you're on Pinterest, you should uh, join my collaboration board. I have oh, absolutely. 32,000 members on the collaboration board. All and right. You can... Feel free to um, put your books up in that. Oh, but reach out to me on Pinterest that. under Tina Hogan Grant, and I'll get you on the board. Okay. So there's like 119,000 pins on that thing. Wow. Well, you yeah, got 32,000 followers. You are very popular. Must no, be the I'm not, that's not my followers on Pinterest. That's how many people oh. are on the board. Oh, so, on the board. Okay. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Check it out. Check it out. And the other thing I want to do is I always do a giveaway also on this uh, chat, and that is a $5 Amazon gift card. Most of the readers here know how to do this one. You go over to my author page. You share this video across social media, share it to your favorite groups on your own personal page, wherever you'd like to share it. But do tag me in the share so that way I know you share and you will be entered into the $5 Amazon gift card. So there we go. Ivan, this has been a blast. I wish we could talk for another hour. 
Hey, um, Tina, I tell you what, in the next book, let's make it a two hour slot because oh, we'll be go. able, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And we'll get you on the calendar. Sounds okay. great. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. And I, I would love to come back anytime. Sounds good to me, Ivan. And thank you everyone for hanging with us and the questions. And hopefully Ivan will find some time and go in and answer some of the questions personally. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Good night. Thank you for joining us. And I will see you next time on the Cuppa and Another podcast when I'll be chatting with another author. Good night, everyone.